Father, we do. Um, it's just interesting, Father, because it's so easy just to go through the motions. The motions of the structure of church, the motions of prayer, the motions of worship, the motions of sitting through the sermon, um, saying hi to one another. It's like sometimes we become robots. And I pray that um, we would not become robots in this moment. Father, that we would um, be changed by your word. I do ask, Father, as I ask every week, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, and feet that want to run with obedience. Father, in this idea of what heaven is going to look like, the new Jerusalem, help our unbelief. We believe, Father, but help our unbelief. May this bring us hope today. In Jesus' name, amen. What an interesting idea, right? Revelation is coming to an end. And as Revelation is coming to an end, where we're at now is what heaven is going to be like. The new heaven and the new earth, right? So Jesus has returned. And when he returned, he's creating the new heaven and the new earth. And what we talked about is how we're going to have physical bodies here on earth. Not only are we going to have physical bodies, there's going to be trees and there's going to be an ocean. And everything's going to be 100% new and sinless. It's going to be perfect. Somewhat of life as we have it now, we will have it then. Isn't that interesting? That this very earth that we're walking on now, and there is a question, is it a new heaven and a new earth, meaning absolutely new, or is it a restored and redeemed? And there's arguments on both sides. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, and we will walk on it in physical form. Contrary to kind of this ambiguous idea of what we have in our minds of heaven, we're not going to be floating in clouds. We're not going to um, be just spirit. We're not going to be able to stick our hands through the other person because they appear to be a ghost, right? We're going to eat together. We're going to drink together. We're going to explore the world and God together. We're going to worship God together. There's going to be roles in heaven in physical form. And what's exciting about that is what that means is what we're doing here matters. What we're doing here matters for the future. Creating the relationships and honoring God. Learning how to mow. Maybe in heaven we need to mow. <laughs> Maybe in heaven we don't mow. You know, there's going to be no honey to-do lists in heaven, I can tell you that. Husbands, can I get a witness? <laughs> I'm preaching. Either way, heaven is going to be perfect. No more sin, no more death. So last week, we kind of looked at this idea of the physical form of it. Well, this week, we're going to get to see the idea of what this city will actually look like. Is there a city? What is the city? But over the past several hundred years, many things have changed. Um, even take hundreds of years. How about 
over the past 50 years, things have significantly changed. Over the past 20 years, things have almost exponentially been changing. Over the past 10 years and five years, some of us would even say life uh, past COVID just seems like it was yesterday. Things are changing. I mean, you think back to like 50 years ago, we used to have black and white TVs with antennas and the remote control was always the kid, right? <laughs> I've been a remote control. Move the antenna, hit the, turn the knob, push the button, turn up the TV. Any of you guys ever been the remote control in here? And then we got remote controls, right? And then after you got remote controls, everyone always lost them in the couch. Or you thought you lost them in the couch, you take the cushions off, you search through them, and then you realize you left it in the kitchen. Because the kids were also the waiters. Go get me some ice cream. Go get me a glass of water. Well, the kid had the remote control in the pocket, and then they forgot the ice. Anyone in here ever been a waiter in the house? Anyone in here ever used the kid as a waiter or the grandkid in here? You abusive people. So we had uh, black and white TVs, we had antennas, and then the TVs went from black and white to these big tube things that weighed about 400 pounds, right? 20 inches, 400 pounds, but color. And we are so happy with 17 inches of a big screen TV. And then it went from that to 50 inches and projection TVs to now we have these HD TVs that weigh about 25 pounds that can be 85 inches on a wall. We used to have landline phones. Well, we do. We do, but we just don't really use them much, right? I mean, some of you are like, well, I still do. Okay, well, God bless you. This church has some Amish roots, okay? <laughs> so we're still stuck in, um, we have the landline phones. We had DSL internet or dial-up, how about that? Any of you guys still have dial-up? And if you do, if you have dial-up, that's why you never respond to my emails. Because <laughs> you're still trying to connect. So we had dial-up internet, right? But now, essentially, the internet and our phones are in our pockets. And not only are these phones, these phones are now our computers. This computer is better than, this phone right here is stronger than any computer in the 90s. Can do more things, maybe even than some of the computers in the early 2000s. You look at the specs of this, I remember when I graduated high school and I needed to buy a new computer, this phone has better specs than the computer I wanted to buy in the 2000s. So we had huge desktop computers, and now we simply have computers on our phones. How about this? Globalization. There used to be a time 50 years ago, 100 years ago, where each nation was independent, where they looked out for their own sovereignty. But now how things have changed, everything essentially is globalized. 
we partner with essentially every nation for goods and services, for wars, and so on and so forth. So there used to be sovereign nations. Now there's globalization, where essentially, if you ask me, and maybe you call me a conspiracy theorist, I think that all nations are connected. I think everyone, I think, I think there, there's, um, it's irrelevant. I think we just kind of play the game, right? I think we make up war for power, for control. I think the spirit of the Antichrist does certain things. I don't believe that there's one true enemy. I think they're just parroting so that they can maneuver us in position. But you didn't come here for my conspiracy theories. You came here for the word of God, amen? All right, take me out for coffee for those. We had the internet and the evolution of high-speed internet. Um, it was so annoying when you would try to get connected to the internet 25 years ago and it's dialing up and then someone calls you, right? Because you needed to get on, you needed to get on whatever news source you got on to see what the weather was going to be like. Or you needed to print a map off MapQuest to give you step-by-step -step directions. But now with the internet, not only do we have higher speeds, um, we have higher surveillance because the internet's everywhere. Now we have AI, artificial intelligence. Now, I will um, maybe freak you out a little bit. We all value our privacy, right? And some of you guys sleep with your phone outside of the room because you're like, I don't want Big Brother listening. I don't want this or I don't want that. Well, essentially, how many of you guys have a router at your house, internet router? All of, how many of you guys have internet? You're like, I don't know if I have a router. Okay, you have a router. All right. So we all have routers in here. Essentially, what AI has done is AI with the routers now, and you're like, why are you talking about this stuff? I don't know. It just sounds fun right now. Sounds relevant. AI, I, I like to keep you fearful a little bit. AI, what, what it ends up doing now is routers with AI have been able to send... Um, layman's terms, radiation throughout the house, and then they've been able to use it as a camera. So as people are walking through the house, because of what the router is able to do, it's able to tell exactly where people are. So you thought in your house that you were, like it was private, and you thought because you put your phone and turned your phone off, and actually most phones, modern phones now, even when you turn them off, they're still listening. What a world, globalization, right? So now your router knows where you're at, and now all of you guys are going to be turning off your router, right? <laughs> like unplugging it. You think you can get away from them? You got your 5G tower that's able to do the same thing. You have um, your neighbor's router or their boosters that are able to do the same thing. And it's like globalization? We can't run from this stuff. And here's what I say. I share that because I say the end is near. The end is near. So now technology, we used to listen. Um, our um, military used to take certain devices and put them on glass. And when they would put them on glass, that's what they would use to spy on people two miles away. Now they just have drones in space whatever they want in space, to hear any conversation, right? So internet has changed and technology has changed. 
and medicines have changed. I'd like to do an experiment with the track team and take some of the kids out and give them a map and say, get me to Worcester. I'm not sure they'd be able to. Just don't be like, who's Worcester? <laughs> Who is she? And what does she want from me? Uh, this is a map. It, north, south, do you know what directions are? No, they don't because their phone just tells them where to go. So technology has changed. And why I have taken so long to share about technology and the world changing is this. Is as much as we all have seen the world change over the past 500, 400, 300, 200, 50, 25, 13 and a half, 16.75, or 6.75. I'm not going to keep on. I don't even know if my math's right, right? However many years the world has changed, all of that change will pale in comparison to the change and the freedom that we will experience with a new heaven and the new earth. We do not understand how perfect and glorious heaven will be. It's all the changes will pale in comparison. Nevertheless, as we get into um, the second half of chapter 21 today, we're going to see the new Jerusalem. And we're going to see that the new Jerusalem is a perfect city. And we not only have a perfect city, but we're also going to see that we have a perfect temple. But we must ask, as we read today, is it symbolic or is it literal? Well, I say yes, right? First off, um, there are many well-rounded theologians that you and I would trust that think that this is a literal uh, description of what the new Jerusalem will look like. So the new Jerusalem being heaven, right? The new earth where you and I will live for the rest of eternity. So many believe that it's a literal interpretation. Others believe that as we read chapter 21, that it's symbolic. Now, I tend to think that it's mostly symbolic. Um, if you guys remember in Revelation 20, um, Satan is chained up. Now, do you think Satan is bound by chains, a physical chain? Do you think he could be bound by a physical chain? No. So what we understand is that it's symbolic. Because what we understand is throughout all of Scripture, angelic beings are not limited by physical space. In Acts 5.19, I'm sure you remember the story. The angel, angels appeared to the apostles and let them out of prison. So um, if you don't remember the story, the angels did not go in through guest services. They did not go in through visitors. The angels appeared, and they let the apostles out. They went through the walls. Point being, the devil isn't limited to physical walls or chains. Therefore, it's likely, in Revelation chapter 20, it's symbolic. Another reason why I think Revelation 21 is symbolic is John uses symbolism in this chapter. 
the angels tell John that he is about to see the bride. The bride is symbolic of the church. Therefore, not a hill for me to die on, um, but I believe much or most of this chapter is symbolic. So we're going to get into verse 9. Revelation 21, verse 9. John describes the beauty of Christ's bride. Believers, this is you. Verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gate. On the gates were written names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So this is the fourth time in the book of Revelation that John is carried away. But this time, he's taken to a great high mountain. Now, if you remember in chapter 17, this is a significantly different location that he's taken to. Because in chapter 17, verse 3, he was taken away to the wilderness to see a great prostitute. Now, you guys should remember, this great prostitute represented Babylon. So he's taken to see the great prostitute. <clears throat> now he's taken to a great high mountain. And he on this mountain will see the glory of the Lamb's bride, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So when John tries to explain what he is seeing, in short, um, or sorry, when he's trying to explain what he sees, it falls short because limitations of humans' vocabulary. What he sees, he's trying to put us in a direction because he can't explain everything. You know what's unique to me is, um, I think in heaven there's going to be colors that we can't even think of. Can you guys think of a new color? You can't. There's not a new color that you can think of. Think of one. And then describe to me a new color that you're trying to create. Because, like, you can mix. I was going to mix some colors, and I'm like, I don't know what colors they create, so I'm not going to mix colors up here. Where's Heather? We can mix colors, right? And then that creates a color, but we already have that color. In heaven, there's going to be colors that we've never seen, that we can't even think of or comprehend. And only colors I think of are purple and gold and scarlet and gray. That's the only colors that matter to me. None of this orange and black and 
red and black and white. I don't know about those colors. Those triad and West Liberty people, I tell you what. So in heaven, there's going to be different colors. So what John is, what John is just very limited with what he can explain. So that's why he starts saying some jasper and crystals and so on and so forth. But what is explained is to his best ability. And with his best ability, what he says is this city has splendor. In heaven, the new Jerusalem, the place by which we will live for eternity, the city has splendor. Verse 11, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like a jasper, clear as crystal. John is trying to articulate that this city shared the glory of God. In heaven, it will share the glory of God. God's presence will be all throughout this place. The most powerful worship moment that you've ever had, the best experience that you've ever had with him, the experience that you desire to have with him will be shared throughout the whole place all of the time. Perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect happiness. Glory essentially could mean awesomeness, majesty, radiant beauty, which is, which is why John is trying to share that it is a rare jewel. There's going to be awesomeness in heaven, something that we rarely get to see here on earth. Not only will the city have his splendor, but this city will have massive walls. Verse 12, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The walls of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. What John is trying to share with us is it will be glorious because God's people will be there with him. What makes heaven glorious is God's people will be there with him. Within these massive walls, there are gates. So the 12 gates, I believe, represent the 12 tribes. So what he's saying is the 12 tribes, and the 12 tribes essentially would represent God's people from the Old Testament. And then the 12 foundations represents the 12 apostles. God's people in the, Old, uh, sorry, in the New Testament who put their faith in Jesus. So because of the 12 tribes that's talked about here, God's people in the Old Testament, that means that the splendor of heaven will be celebrated with God's people who are Noah, Moses, Abraham, um, Shadrach, David, Meshach, Abednego. So what we see here is um, God's splendor will be here, and his splendor is his people. And in the New Testament, with the foundations, you're going to see you and I, Paul, Peter, Mary, 
Uh, Martin Luther, a great theologian, right? Lost loved ones who put their faith in Jesus. So these massive walls with these gates and the foundation represent God's people from old and new. Now, heaven doesn't need protection, right? So we could think, well, these massive walls mean protection. Heaven doesn't need protection because God is there and there will be no evil. But these walls are symbolic of security. Now, imagine being able to enjoy life with no fear of what's going to happen tomorrow. Imagine being able to enjoy life with no fear of external enemies. So that would mean there's, we're not scared or afraid of humans or war or terrorism or bullies or demonic accusations, oppression or deception. These walls, I believe, are symbolic of saying there's going to be none of these fears in heaven. It's a safe place. Imagine being able to enjoy life with no fear of personal enemies, sickness, death, personal tragedy, or relational breakdown, psychological issues such as depression or anxiousness. Imagine life without these worries. That's what these walls are representing here, that life in heaven will set us free from all of these fears. You know what's even weird is we get excited about going on vacation, right? How many of you guys get excited about going on vacation? How many of you guys have ever had the thought, when I go on vacation, I'm going to get in a car accident or something bad's going to happen, right? There's always this fear of even the good things or even when loved ones go places, we're like, well, let me pray for your safe travel. In heaven, when... We go explore something or go traveling, whatever we do, we're not going to have to pray for safety. Doesn't that sound fun? We're not going to have to pray for safety for work. We're not going to have to pray for our kids, our friends, our um, enemies anymore. Because in heaven, God's splendor is there, and we are protected from these things. Now, um, this idea of the walls, it could possibly also be representing that, a, that we are eternally secure, right? So it could possibly also mean that. It could also be symbolizing that many will be excluded from heaven. So there's, you know, the more we study Revelation, there's many things that we can discover here. But once we go to heaven, it's secure. We're done. It's finished for the rest of eternity. But the walls do, could, or do and could mean that um, it's an exclusive place. Heaven will not be inclusive to everyone. Nevertheless, there's this weird idea that then comes up next is the city of the new Jerusalem is square. Um... So is that symbolic or is that literal? Verse 15, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city. Its gates and walls, the city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 
12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. That's a thick wall. Nevertheless, it's interesting that it's proposed that the city is square. The length and the width and the height are all the same. Now, to me, that would mean that if we take it literal, there's only two options, potentially, of what the city could look like. It could either look like a cube, one option, or a pyramid for the deeper thinkers. You're like, well, a pyramid, it only has one brick up top, so how could it still be as wide? Well, the bottom is just as wide as it is tall, right? So if I were literally speaking about what heaven would mean, or is going to look like, if it was literal, well, it's gonna be a cube, or it's gonna be, <laughs> and for those who think, yeah, I'm not even gonna go there. I'm like, for those who think that we're all in a simulation, then they're gonna be like, I told you that this was all a computer. I told you, we are all in the matrix. Well, I do not believe that we are in the matrix or a simulation by the way that some people think. Nevertheless, heaven is um, here as a cube or a pyramid potentially. But it's possibly that this could be similar to the holy place of the tabernacle. I think that's more of what's being um, insinuated here. One author says this, the cube is symbolic. There is only one cube in the uh, Old Testament, and that is the most holy place of the temple, where only the high priest could enter once a year, bearing blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people. Now, the entire city is the most holy place. In the consummation, all God's people are perennially in the unshielded splendor of his glorious presence. This is why there is no need for a temple to enshrine God's presence. The Lord and Jesus are its temple. Their full presence is accessible to everyone, everywhere, at every time. I believe that, right? In heaven, he's accessible everywhere, every time. Yet not only is this city going to be square or like a cube, it would appear that this is a huge city, very large city. Essentially, it's going to be 1,500 square miles. A city. So New York City is big. Chicago is big. Miami is big. Los Angeles is big. But this city is going to be 1,500 square miles, which would be from Maine to Florida. That's a big city. From Maine to Florida. Or, generally speaking, this city will be the size of the moon. So is this literal, that it's going to be a literally this size? Or is this figurative, right? Saying, hey, there's just this idea of heaven's going to be a big place. But note that this is a city. Imagine a city from Maine to Florida, 
just full of buildings and people. Life and interaction. You know, it can also help us understand that the city is big enough for all that want to join. And I think that's what's being taught here. It's not about just the exact size of what heaven's going to be. I think what's being said here is heaven is big enough for anyone who wants to come. Amen? Heaven is big enough for you and I. Heaven is big enough for our neighbors. Now, I don't know how much stock to put into what I say next, right? It's interesting. But there's been some rough estimates by the end of existence or even generally to now, right? There's been 100 billion people who have lived on this earth. Interesting statistic, right? Therefore, what one theologian did the num- ran the numbers on, right? If 20% of people are born again, each person in heaven would have about 75 acres for themselves. Some of you guys get pretty excited about that, right? I get 75 acres in heaven? Well, I don't know. Um, I don't think that's really the point. The point wasn't that we get 75 acres or 100 acres or 1,000 acres. The point was heaven's big enough for all of us. It's not about the acreage. And you're like, well, I don't want to go to heaven if I have to live in a sky rise. (laughs) Come on, somebody. I think how big God is, (laughs) that we might have a billion acres in heaven for ourselves, right? But going to heaven is not about a billion acres or um, a thousand cows that we get. That's heaven's um, currency too, right? It's cows and goats, not coins and dollars. I'm just kidding. It helps us understand that there's room for all of us. So heaven is big. Heaven will have God's splendor, right? Heaven is a safe place. There will be no more sickness or illness there. But not only is heaven all of those things, heaven in the new Jerusalem is beautiful. It is beautiful like something we've never seen before. Verse 18, the wall was made of jasper in the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper and the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, and the Uh, Each gate made a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. So are the cities going to be gold and transparent? No, this is talking about splendor. In the new Jerusalem, it's going to be eternally beautiful. It's possible that these stones represent God's people and their beauty. 
It could also be that they represent God's creative work. As I said, God's creative work, we, we, we can't even understand colors that will be in heaven. What is clear to me, though, is God's people with uh, fully redeemed and beautiful bodies will be in an environment that is perfect and beautiful for the rest of time. Heaven is not just floating in the clouds. Heaven will be here on earth in perfect form as God had planned in the Garden of Eden. Our loved ones, our, some of our loved ones are there right now. Now, not on the new heaven and the new earth. And there is a little bit of mystery, and I know I'm opening up a can right now. Where are they right now, right? Where are our loved ones if they're not on the new heaven and the new earth? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. That's where our loved ones are. And then the thief on the cross, he, uh, cross, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. So our loved ones are with Jesus in paradise and to be absent from the bodies, to be present with him. But clearly speaking, and I know this is a can, right? They're not on the new heaven or the new earth because this is not the new heaven or the new earth. Amen? Can we be okay with that theologically? That I don't believe in... Um, uh, what's it called? Um, purgatory, yes. Don't believe in purgatory. So we don't have people sitting in there to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So our loved ones are present with the Lord, but then one day our loved ones will come back here to earth with their resurrected bodies in perfect form. Amen? We have hope in sickness. We have hope in death. Not only is the city beautiful, but the city's light comes from Jesus. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So we don't have to go somewhere to worship God because he is there. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light. And the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be um, no night there. So the glory of God will be the light for the city. 1 John 1.5. There is, um, sorry, 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So God and Jesus will be the light John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So last week, um, I was proposed the question, Joey, I read a little bit further. And when I read a little bit further, you said that in heaven there will be sunsets. Well, we're figuratively, big picture speaking, right? 
Um, so they said, you know, there's suns you said that there were sunsets, but then I read that Jesus is the light. And I'm not trying to defend myself at all, right? We don't exactly know what it's going to look like. Jesus is going to be the light in heaven, but this scripture also doesn't say for those who have questions that we won't have a sun or a moon, right? It just says the need for light, the need for light doesn't come from the sun. Nevertheless, um, it's very possible that there's no sun or moon when we get to heaven too. One author says this, in heaven, none of our joy, beauty, or knowledge will be based on created things. That's good. In heaven, none of our joy, beauty, or knowledge will be based on created things, but only the creator. By faith, you can have it that way now. You could decide to trust in God so completely that your joy, what you consider beauty, and your foundation of knowledge are based on Jesus and not anything created. So the sun was created, the moon was created, we create things in heaven. What it's going to be about is the light that comes from Jesus alone, the creator. And if in heaven life is going to be about the creator rather than created things, then what should you and I make our life about now? The creator and not created things. Last point, the city will have culture. Let's just, in heaven we're gonna worship, right? It's gotta be about the creator and not created things. We're gonna sing and we're going to worship him. One of the um, misconceptions of worship that we have is that worship is only singing songs. What does scripture tell us, though? True worship is offering your body holy and pleasing to God, right? Everything that we do in honor of him, that's our true worship. It's just not coming to MCF and raising our hands and um, singing songs, worship is offering everything that we have to him. So we need to get this idea out that in heaven that all we're going to do is be standing in grass with no sun or no moon, just the light of God singing, holy, holy, holy are you. But if that is what we were to do, do you think he's holy enough to sing to him those words for the rest of eternity? Is he that holy that you would be willing to sing those songs for the rest? Is he that good to you? Do you love him that much that you would just sing holy, 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 holy are you for the rest of eternity? If he's not, then let's keep on trying to get to know him, amen? But that's not the only thing we're going to do in heaven. We're not just going to sing songs. We're not just going to somehow learn how to play the harp, right? Any, of you, any harp players in here? Is that even a harp? <laughs> yeah, air harp. Okay, fine, slap the bass. We're just not going to slap the bass in heaven. Heaven will have culture. Verse 26 the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will 
anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Heaven will honor people's gifting. The glory and the honor is brought to it. I think what this could mean, or what it is saying, is the creative pieces of those um, who are now within um, God, who are now the creative pieces of life, right? Those creative pieces of life will be in heaven. So there's going to be arts, there's going to be music, there's going to be science, there's going to be math, there's going to be singing. Those things will be a part of heaven in this city. He didn't create us this way than to morph us into something just completely different once we get there. We will be pure, we will be holy, we will be in perfect form but he created us to have community and arts and culture and ideas and discovery. So heaven will have culture. But the, the, the culture of heaven will be one that honors people's giftings. The culture of heaven will be one that is pure. Nothing impure will ever enter heaven. This means no impure thought or sin, no shame, no deceit, no abuse, no bullying. So the culture of heaven honors people's giftings. It will be pure. And then finally, the culture of heaven, according to this scripture and many others throughout the Bible, is the culture of heaven is exclusive. Only for those written in the Lamb's book of life. It makes it very plain here that heaven is only for those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So I ask you, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? How do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Pretty simple, right? We must receive forgiveness for our sins through the blood of Jesus. He is the only way to heaven. There's um, no other substitute than him. Amen. I mean, we can keep on sharing the gospel. Um, keep on going with it. But if we are saved, if we are written in the Lamb's book of life, we need to get rid of the bitterness with inside of us so that we can go share the good news to get other people's names written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. That's what we desire. We not only want heaven for us, we want heaven for everyone else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that heaven will be a real place with culture and purpose and uh, physical bodies. But I pray that uh, you would set us free from our mess today so that we can um, help plant seeds for more people to be written in the Lamb's book of life. Just keep on cultivating in us surrendered people, Father. People that, um, yeah, don't want to be prideful. 
that want to have it your way, not our way. In Jesus' name, amen.